0: Welcome to Destiny. Now here's your host, Cliff Dunning.
2: I hope you're relaxed, enjoying your day, and uh, ready for a, a new Destiny program. This is um, a fun month for me. We're here in San Francisco. Of course, there is the uh, NFC Championship game this coming Sunday, and I've been a 49ers fan since I was, uh, Jesus, a baby almost. And my uh, dad... Was a huge Forty Nine er fan, and would take me to some games. And then when I um, my my first wife, her father had season tickets. I think it was on the thirty yard line, and so I'd go every other week. But boy, those were fun. <laughs> the tickets now. I heard the other day that the tickets for the uh, Eagles, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco Niner game start at 2500 U.S. for an average seat. So that tells you how crazy the ticket prices have gone up for a playoff game. I can't imagine what they're going to ask for the Super Bowl. But uh, big news here. Very interesting, fascinating consideration. And a football fan I've been since I was a youngster. Kind of excited about that. On this episode of Destiny, we're talking about astrology, and I wasn't really sure if I would bring on somebody who would talk general general astrology, which is the Western version, or Vedic astrology, which deals more with the um, observable star constellations. I've had readings from both, and I've had a fascination with astrology for many, many years. And uh, we've had uh, Susan Miller on the program. And I, I have to remind you, if you want a free reading, if you want to hear from a fairly competent uh, and accurate astrologer, go to Susan Miller Astrology. She puts out a monthly reading. It's a monster in terms of content. She really puts a lot of energy into what is probably two pages of of, uh, specifics. Now, of course, how specific is it? Obviously, she doesn't have your birth, date, the time, and the location you were born. So she's very general when it comes to the signs, Virgo, Pisces, uh, Sagittarius, and so on, the 12 astrological charts. Uh, But today, we're going to hear from... A scientist, And this is what I've been waiting for, a scientist who actually is an astrologer and has looked at the multi-century long practice of astrological readings, uh, which today is considered looking at your horoscope. Now, what we're going to hear is a scientific breakdown of how planets influence Earth's gravity, which inf- influences Earth's biological beings, which are us, Homo sapiens. And more to the point, how these charts were uh, created in the ancient past. We're going to go as far back as the Sumerian civilization. And I think we'll we'll also broach uh, the Chinese, the Egyptians, and the Maya. And my guest today is Dr. Bruce Schofield. By the way, he's got a PhD in geoscience. I didn't know what geoscience was until I discovered it's a science of uh, earth-based activities. In other words, geology, uh, soil, environmental uh, influences. And that being said, Dr. Robert Schock, who we've had on the program quite a bit, Rob Shock, endorses this book. And even though it's like 300 pages, and by the way, the, the name of the book is The Nature of Astrology, History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self-Organizing Systems, the, the material is breaks down why we should be uh, considering what I consider, what I term, I should say, one of the sacred arts, the sacred sciences of the ancient past. And this is going to be a fun interview because um, in many ways we get into why various powers that be have denigrated, have reduced astrology into a uh, parlor trick predictive uh, parlor trick that isn't considered valid. And when you look at how the ancients were able to perceive over thousands of years the energetic influences of the known cosmos, the known constellations, the known planets in in our universe, well, in our cosmos, it's fascinating that they were able to jot this down and in many, many cases, memorize how planets like Venus, Mars, our own moon, Saturn, and so on, influence us on a level that we can use to predict future outcomes. Now, I've had Western astrology charts done for me, and also the Hindu or the Vedic astrological charts. And I have to say that the Vedic, is much more accurate when it comes to predicting various environmental concerns, trends, I guess you can say. And the other thing, and of course I'm into the ancient past, Vedic astrology or the uh, astrological terms for astrology appear in the Rig Veda, uh, the Rig Vedas. And the Rig Vedas are over 10,000 years old or perhaps older. And this means that our ancestors really went to work in developing a system that they could use for predicting before you go into a battle, what the outcome might be, major decisions, major life events. You know, what should I do? Is this somebody that I want to be a part of? Do I want to join this group? And then later on, uh, do we want to go to war? If we go to war, what are the better outcomes? And I'm being very general. I mean, astrology gets into, I mean, if you if you ever go and have a, and I suggest you do it, go and have a, a, a your chart done. You got to give them, obviously, your name, when you were born, the time you were born, and the location. And that's enough for them to uh, use a lot of these new uh, software p- applications to come out with some some material that the astrologer can read and interpret and give you a live reading. And uh, I've had, how many, I've had a couple of Western, I've had two sidereal, and I got to tell you, what I like about the sidereal, the, or excuse me, the sidereal is the Vedic. Hindu astrology is sidereal, the Sidereal System of Star Constellations. And and I, I remember this, this is like, geez, this must be like 15 years ago. I went to this astrologer in San Francisco, very well-known uh, Vedic astrologer. He did my chart. And he said, by the way, this influence, which is going to come upon you, is going to be uh, pretty significant. And I suggest that you wear this gemstone as a ring. And I remember him using the term Rahu. And this is a bad period that you can uh, influence by wearing a gemstone. And what that means is the next level to just a general reading is to augment a bad period. So you wear this gem on your hand and it augments. The energy of the gem augments the influences of the planetary systems, the constellations on you. So you're optimizing your physicality, your ability to be as successful as possible, as healthy as possible, and so forth and so on. That sounds really weird, but if you've been listening to me for a while, you know I'm all about energy, I'm all about the vibrations of the planet, the energy system of the body, the, the chakra systems, the yin and yang, uh, and so forth and so on. These cell energies really can play havoc on your life if you don't pay attention to them, and most people don't. And again, uh, we're going to hear today some of the negatives that have come around and been placed on astrology, most notably by the church. And we'll hear today why uh, the church is so influential in people's lives. For the most part, is people that are just afraid. If they know their destiny, it can be scary. They don't want to get a part of it. And then, of course, the church is like, you know, the fundamentalists are like, uh, okay, this is the work of the devil. This is uh, evil. You shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, hopefully at some point people use their brain, use critical thinking to move beyond that kind of logic, which really isn't logic, and and consider some of these ancient techniques. So today we're going to talk about astrology from a scientific point of view from, from the, what science delivers, what science presents, and my guess is a geoscientist. I have a short video here on the fundamentals of astrology, how the ancients used it, and I'll be right back with you.
0: In ancient times, the night sky was a dazzling mystery, this vast array of stars. And gradually, there was an understanding that certain things could come from this. You could read it as a calendar. You would know when to plant your crops. You would know when the floods might come. Connected to the tracking of the stars was the practice of drawing lines between them to create constellations, which exist in the historical records of humanity's earliest civilizations. It also appears that these civilizations had some form of what is referred to as the Zodiac Wheel the ancients decided that they would create a division of the heavens based upon the movement of the sun through one yearly cycle. And as it does this, it passes through 12 different constellations. uh, And these become the zodiacal signs that we know today. But these ideas go back to Babylonian times and even the Sumerians as much as 5,000 years ago. In many ancient cultures, it was thought that the constellations affected not only harvests and weather, but daily life as well. While this may seem like a primitive notion, it is very much alive and well, kept relevant by billions of people who check their horoscopes every day.
3: In modern times, there's this distinction between astronomy, which is the observation of celestial movements, and astrology which is the interpretation of those celestial bodies and movements. In ancient times, the astronomers and astrologers tended to be one and the same person. Astrology didn't originate in one place, but for some reason, just about every culture seems to have made this observation that there's a correlation between celestial movements and earthly events, which is the basic premise of astrology. While astrology is dismissed by modern science, It is estimated
0: that over 90% of the world's adult population today is aware of their astrological sign. In the modern world, many people regard this as nothing more than a topic of conversation. But in the ancient world, the zodiac wheel was seen as a way to communicate with the gods.
3: The ancient Greeks conceptualized astrology as the language of the gods or the heavenly script as if the movements of the planets across the sky and through the signs of the zodiac or the constellations had some sort of significant message that was being conveyed by the gods about life on Earth and about individuals. The ancient people associated the constellations with important historical
0: and mythological events and even with the creation of humanity
3: itself. The ancients began assigning animals as symbols for this journey through the sky. In ancient Sumeria, they identified Aquarius with a god being, Enki, who is the creator god in the Sumerian tradition. According to the Sumerians, it was Enki who came to Earth and created humanity in its present form. Now, this is very interesting because these types of descriptions appear over and over again, and where people connect with these particular star systems or constellations in various mythic and historical traditions. That cannot be by coincidence.
2: So again, to get a taste of astrology, go to Susan Miller, Astrology. Take a look at what she has to say about your specific chart and what the month of January, even though we're coming to the end of it, what it has to say. For those of you who are not interested in Susan Miller, do a general search for astrological readings, punch in your sign, and see what comes up. I mean, I typically, because I know Susan, I, I I read hers, it's coming around, it's almost time for me to, to get another sidereal or Vedic uh, chart. Things are moving pretty quick. So, by the way, I want to remind you, we just launched our YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube and go to Earth Ancients Official, and you can see our new lineup of videotapes. Some of them are quite good. We got uh, Graham Hancock, Randall Carlson, uh, A.V. Loeb, Michael Cremo, Scott Walter, on and on and on. The top of the top people in this field of ancient civilizations. Uh, sprinkling of UFOs, so forth and so on. Check it out. And we're also launching a new TikTok channel, uh, which we'll post and I'll let you know soon. This is going to be great because this gives you a chance to understand the inner workings, some of the people, some of the movers and shakers of Earth Ancients and Destiny and Earth Ancients Special Edition, the archives. So... The program today is The Nature of Astrology, History, Philosophy, and the Science of Organizing Systems. My guest is Dr. Bruce Schofield. fascinated by what I call the sacred sciences of the ancients. And uh, one of those sciences is astrology. And I think astrology gets a bad rap simply because a lot of people consider it an occult practice. Witches and warlocks and uh, pagans dancing around stone edifices are the uh, are the promoters of of the uh, astrology, but it's truly a science. And I personally have known this. If you take a tour with Earth ancients and when we're in Egypt, we visit the Hathor Temple in Dendera, and on the roof of the observatory is the most spectacular carved astrological uh, feature. It's a circular feature with all the characters of the astrology, all the uh, planets and so forth and so on. And this building, this temple is considered to be several thousands of years uh, old. Today, my guest has written a book called The Nature of Astrology. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest. His name is Bruce Schofield. He holds a graduate degree in history social sciences, and geoscience. He's a member of the National Council of Geocosmic Research and is the current president of Professional Astrologers Alliance. He's a scientist. And this new book, The Nature of Astrology, History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self-Organizing Systems, actually breaks down and uh, describes how it was used in the past, all the way back to the Sumerians. How it was used uh, more recently, and the schism
1: behind its use. Hey, Bruce, welcome to Destiny. Thank you for having me, and I'm sorry I have a computer malfunction going on. I think
2: we're going to be okay. Regard regard to the video, let me ask you first:
1: What is a geoscientist? Well, in the past, there was a geology department, and you know, but then geology. you know, it was basically what they call hard rock geology. But then there were, was more concerned with, say, um, uh, what's soft rock geology, like sedimentation. And then there was uh, weather and climatology, which is no rock, ge- you know, geology. So they just call it geosciences now. But it includes okay. those subjects. Geography is usually in geosciences as well.
2: I want if- to mention also that your book is endorsed by uh, Dr. Robert Schock. Out of Boston U and he thinks the book's amazing. And he, I, I, you know, you're kind of a geologist, but you're not. You, you, the geoscience as I see it, and I didn't read the extended description covers all kinds of earth sciences, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's not just geology. It's other types of earth sciences, sciences, I should say. Um, what was, your motivation for not only writing the book, but you're an astrologer with many, many years of practice. Was it that you were fed up with the occult tag on it? Was it, was it that the, uh, the scientific community orthodoxy, so to speak, uh, simply doesn't recognize astrology anymore?
1: Well, for me, it was really a, a matter of answering the question. What is astrology? Because I, uh, was interested in science early on when I was very young. I was interested in astronomy and paleontology. You know, I started with dinosaurs and went from there and uh, I had telescopes. I tried to build a reflector telescope from parts from Edmund scientific. A lot of, you know, kids were doing that in the fifties. But um, when I discovered astrology, I was, I was about 18 years old, just finishing up high school. And, I had a girlfriend that was interested in it and I looked at her books and I was basically programmed to think astrology was a bunch of hogwash and it was a pseudoscience. And the books looked pretty, you know, rational to me. So I went ahead and calculated a chart, which at the time was a problem for a lot of people because there were no computers and you had to know, you know, be at least handy with arithmetic to be able to come up with a chart but anyway i did that and i started i followed the instructions and i started noticing that this was actually working and when you so, say working you
2: it was a uh, using it using it for prediction or was it more yeah,
1: you know prediction and and self analysis and right uh, description of events and um i thought it was very clear cut there was uh, i didn't think that i was de- deceiving myself in any way and so this was a big problem because my experience of the subject was not what, uh, I had been told it would be. So I, I, uh, got very interested and I met other people who were interested and stayed with it and got better at it and started a practice because the only way you can make a living doing astrology is having a practice, a counseling or consulting rather practice. Mm. But I always had this, I, you know, this uh, question in the back of my mind, what is it? I mean, how, how does this work? This is not explained scientifically Uh, and one of my side trips was a long you know 20 year side trip into an exploration of Mesoamerican astrology because I thought if I could understand what they were doing which was something very different from what was happening in western astrology which is basically Mesopotamian and Greek and Roman um, then maybe I'd have a little more insight into it Hmm. and I did get some. But that was a a great exploration in and of itself. But I kept at it, and I had an opportunity to do a PhD thesis um, about 20 years ago. And uh, my advisor said I could do something on astrology as long as it wasn't about people. And (laughs) astrometeorology was long, right since the beginning of astrology. It's been long a part of astrology, predicting the weather. You see it in the almanacs. Today, the almanacs do it in some uh, crazy way that amounts to a a 50-50 chance that they're right. But I think the older Almanacs were probably more accurate. Anyway, what I did was I I took um, uh, a statement that Johannes Kepler, the astronomer, one of the founders of of modern science, said about astrology, you know, uh, He also said, don't throw out, throw the baby out with the bathwater. But in particular, he said, if you want to prove astrology, just look at the aspects of the sun and Saturn and how they correlate with the weather. And for hundreds of years, astrologers have thought that sun, Saturn aspects correlated with cold. Mm -hmm. So I proceeded to study that and I made that my, uh, uh, PhD thesis, my, my project. And I, I tested. Sun Saturn aspects of various kinds in various ways all over parts of the world and found that in certain regions, and one of them turns out to be the Northeastern US, but uh, I also did a lot of work with England and Central uh, Europe as well, does show a correlation between Sun Saturn alignments and cold weather. And I was able to demonstrate that um, with graphs and some statistics. And my PhD committee had to pass me because I was doing legitimate science. They weren't happy with the result, but they couldn't see how I, I would get another one.
2: In your uh, paper, do you uh, are you specific and predicting a, a, sp- a specific trend? Are you predicting something that is about to occur in the United States? What what, what was the? Well,
1: let me let me see, show, give you an example of one of the. Studies that I did, I probably did about I don't know a hundred different individual studies. Mm-hmm. But here's here's one, and it's in. I have a paper on the subject. It's called um, "A Signal from Saturn Found in Temperature Data Sets," and I have it posted online in, in a few places. Uh, if you look for it, you'll find it. Academia.edu uh, has it. Um, and what I did was I took weather records and I adjusted them in a way that would compensate for any seasonal effects. So that was, that was taken out of the mix. And then whenever there was a sun Saturn opposition, uh, this happens once every year, I would take that date and 10 days before and 10 days after and pull that information out of the records. And these are daily temperature records I'm talking about. And I used uh, lows, highs, means. I settled on means, was good enough, the daily mean. And then I would stack them together. So if there was 30 years, I would have 30 samples. I would stack them together and get an average. And what I found was that there would be, the temperature would be, say, you know, uh, you know, it would be in the middle somewhere. And then as you got towards the opposition, the temperature would drop and it would reach a peak on or near the the actual aspect uh, hmm. when it was exact, and then it would go back up again. And that shouldn't happen because I did a lot of uh, controls, and I did it with uh, I did it with other planets as well. Anyway, it's I think it's a it's not really a finding because the astrologers knew about this for the last two thousand years. Okay but it's a documentation of a traditional finding. I want to go as far back
2: as we can, and you write uh, quite succinctly about the Sumerians, but where do we begin seeing evidence of uh, what, I mean, you use another term, for uh, you call astrology a system science. Yeah. And I, I like that because, you actually describe a collection of of uh, uh, topics that contribute to astrology. Things like gravity, um, weather, uh, planetary influences, so forth and so on. Where do we begin seeing uh, ancient cultures? Let's talk about the Sumerians first, because mm-hmm. that's is prominently in your in your book. W- where do they begin showing uh, evidence of serious scientific study of astrology.
1: Well, there are these records of Venus. They're, they're called the Venus Tablets of Amizaduga, who was, I believe, a Babylonian king, and they date to about, I think, about 1600 BC. And while we don't have those actual records, we have copies of or um, uh, copies of them that were c- gathered oh, I guess around uh, 7, 800 BC, um, I don't have the exact date off of my mind, when um, all this information was being collected. And there was lots of, in that collection, which is essentially a kind of a guidebook to astrology, the, those Amizaduga tablets are included in the information under Venus omens.
3: But there's mm-hmm. also
1: moon omens and Jupiter and Mars and all, the sun and so on, eclipses. Um, so we could say with certainty that, you know, almost 2000, for almost 4,000 years ago from now, there were sophisticated, um, records concerning the phases of Venus and correlations with those, uh, between those phases, phases and events that were happening at the time.
0: Hmm.
1: So that's pretty far back. Four thousand years, I think, is a safe yeah. number, but it probably goes back much further to the Sumerians. Th- this was the Babylonians. Okay, and you're you're mentioning Venus, but
2: there's other known planets that are important. You know, obviously the sun, the moon, mm-hmm. the bigger planets like Saturn and Jupiter uh, uh, are are all presenting their influence on Earth. Um What kind of charts do we find or do we show uh, a king's chart? Because uh, you do mention the Sumerian kings list. So I'm curious if there are specific charts that, that you have discovered or are well known to the scientific community that kind of shed light on uh, what some of these uh, astrological readings were were focused on.
1: Well, early astrology was basically like an omen system. Uh, they would note it, note correlations. There was essentially like a college of sky watchers, mm-hmm. and they passed down their observations through the generations, and the information accumulated. And so, a correlation when between, say, the moon. Um, and uh, when it was in a certain position in the sky and when it was near Mars or when it was near Venus would correlate with a rains or some kind of a drought or maybe a war or something like that. That's, that would be noted. And so they would be used, that information would be used then for making predictions, because when you have hundreds of years of these observations, you have a database, you have a data set that you can fall back on. And if it turns out that, you know, 75% of the time when you have Mars opposite Saturn, there's uh, some kind of trouble going on. It's a safe bet to make that prediction. Mm -hmm. But most people associate astrology with the birth chart, which is, in my opinion, mistakenly called the horoscope. Horoscope is a Greek word meaning view of the hour, which I think refers to the rising sign or ascendant. Uh, But the birth chart birth charts appear later. The earliest birth chart that I think is known as of now is about 410 B.C. And uh, there were more after that date. And by the time you got into fully into the Hellenistic period, uh, charts were quite common.
2: Hmm. I, I think I'm cu- really curious about how did the ancients understand the things we can't see, like the gravity of another planet's influence on Earth, the the raw, what I call the raw uh, uh, workings of our own planet—the gravity, seasons, and things like that—their influence on biology. Uh, I mean, how did they? How did they know uh, that Pluto? Would influence the the the
1: beings on planet Earth. Well, they didn't know that Pluto would because Pluto wasn't discovered until 1930. Okay, the uh, bigger planets. Yeah, I think that I think astrology probably developed in a sequence of various stages. Like the first thing is to recognize that if you watch where the sun rises against the eastern horizon or sets in the west. Every day, you'll notice that it moves north and south again, you know, um, against that horizon, mm-hmm. and this correlates with the seasons. So, uh, and also, you can measure the height of the sun in the sky, and this this is a way of predicting the seasons. And this is fundamental; you have to know this if you're going to have an agricultural society. So, in my opinion, that's that, and the the lunar cycles, which correlate with gestation cycles and um, migration patterns and so on between those two you have enough to uh, uh, enough information to make sedentary life and uh, and even nomadic life to some extent a lot more stable than it would be otherwise I mean these these are the uh, celestial timekeepers and they do correlate with things you know the moon correlates with the tides it correlates with Uh, the migration of certain species. It correlates with, um, you know, pregnancies and births and so on. So you're saying
2: that over the centuries, over the uh, long periods of time, people were noting down various influences of of the tide, of, of the seasons, and so forth, and collecting this data, which all contributes to the astrological forecasting.
1: Yeah, I think, I think ancient people kept this in their head because, you know, they didn't have writing until about five or 6,000 years ago. But um, they kept it in their heads and passed it on. And they were good observers. They weren't distracted by the things that we get distracted by today. And they noted correlations. They would watch every night. They would watch the sky. I mean, that was their television. They would see changes. They would see the moon go over Saturn and a certain kind of weather pattern might happen. Depends on where you live in the world. If you're living in a desert, it's not going to rain. But you could have a Moon Saturn aspect and live in Europe and experience rain, or and certainly coolness. Yeah. So What's, they learned. Yeah. What
2: um, ancient cultures really uh, uh, revered astrology? And we know the Maya did. I think the Chi- the ancient Chinese did as well. You're describing the Western side of it, which is Mesopotamia, the Greek, the Roman. Uh, uh, cultures. But I mean, was there a period where it was a legitimate known science where someone could say, I have studied this and I have been credentialed or maybe they didn't have credentials during the Greek period. uh, And they said, well, I, you know, call on me when you want to know something. (laughs) I mean, how, how was it looked
1: upon? Well, the uh greatest well what most people consider to be the greatest scientist in the ancient world was uh Claudius Ptolemy who lived around 150 uh you know a common era and he wrote a book on astrology um, among other things he wrote on geography he wrote on optics he wrote on astronomy wrote a major work on astronomy but he also wrote a book on astrology so Astrology was connected with the greatest scientists of the ancient world. I mean, what does that say? It says it was obviously respected in some quarters. I think the the the, um, astrology needs to be understood as a subject, and I make this point about twenty times in the book. That when people say astrology, they immediately think of somebody reading "quote unquote" horoscopes. And what I'm trying to argue is that astrology is as much a subject as psychology or medicine or geosciences or Any other subject, it it, um, but it does have a lot more in common with psychology and medicine in that both of those fields have a practice as well as the rest of the subject, which would include theory and research, and they all have their own histories. Every subject has its history. So if you break astrology up into those compartments, you have the history of astrology. You have astrological theory. You have astrological research. Um, There might be even astrological philosophy. I mean, that's that's a real thing, but it's undeveloped at this point. And then you have the practice. Mm -hmm. Today, ninety-nine point nine percent of people that call themselves astrologers are involved in the practice, and most of them think that's all there is to it. Yeah. But the reason the other ones don't exist is because there's no institutional support for them. Astrology is not like other subjects. There there are no grants. I mean if there are grants you know they are very small but the um uh the truth is is that the subject is is operating under a lot of handicaps it's marginalized and it's essentially a cultural bubble
2: yeah and that's the problem i i um i do want to cross over before we do that uh you have a whole section on greek and roman astrology uh the romans took it extremely serious uh and actually there's mention that you talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the Roman astrology. And I think there's a couple of uh, uh, prominent individuals who uh, promote it.
1: Well, there, there was astrology at the highest levels. Um, there was a great book written by a guy named uh, Frederick Kramer called Astrology in Roman Law and Politics, uh, which has been out for a long time. I found it probably in the 1970s, and you read about all these things going on. How um, several emperors were actually practicing astrologers. I believe uh, Hadrian and uh, uh, Tiberius knew how to do astrology themselves. They all, most of them, had astrologers working for them. Uh, one of the astrologers who worked for Tiberius was Thrasyllus and he was the one who organized all the dialogues of Plato, you know, preserved them and put them in a form that we have today. So he was a leading intellectual at the same time that he was an astrologer. Wow. And, you know, so you had it at the highest levels, but then you also had astrologers on other levels, and sometimes they would start making predictions of the death of the emperor, and this got to be politically inconvenient. And so there were a number of times when the astrologers were all banished from Rome. Oh Jesus. But they banished other people as well. They, yeah. They, so as astrology was a very prominent Roman culture, but the the issue of fate and free will keeps popping up and it was popping up back then and it caused a lot of problems. And when Christianity became dominant, astrology had to go because Christianity is based on free will. Yeah,
2: before we get into the fall of astrology uh and the uh, Enlightenment period, the Renaissance. Um, do, are there noted uh, papers, writings of major astrological charts being written before a military campaign or a major political move or something that's a civil movement uh, that is uh, followed?
1: Yeah, I, I, that was done probably in the Roman period because you even find some writings about, you know, picking times to launch a ship and so on. In the Middle Ages, picking times to fight a battle was fairly common. And uh, uh, Rob Handa, a well-known astrologer, actually did a PhD thesis on astrology and medieval warfare and uh, using electional astrology. Uh, so, yeah, it's been used for those purposes. W- you, until the advent of printing, astrologers, full-time astrologers needed to have a patron. And most of them were just as interested in astronomy and mathematics as they were in astrology, but they had to write, do the horoscopes. When the queen had a kid, that chart chart had to be produced and a, uh, you know, predictions made. And, you know, when, if a coronation was coming about that, the time for that had to be picked and so on. So they would do that. Um, but when pruning came about, then astrologers were able to break away from the patronage sy- system by publishing their own annual almanacs, which would right. include almanac. prognostications. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned the almanacs in
2: your book quite a few times. And so uh, it looks like a, a lot of these prominent astrologers would create an almanac. Uh, I guess it was either a yearly almanac or a seasonal yearly. almanac. I mean, a no, yearly. they were yearly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Quite amazing. Every year you bought a new one. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Uh
2: why uh let, let's talk about the demise of its uh, uh, uh you, you get into the Renaissance, the Enlightenment period. Why is there a uh downcast view of astrology during this time?
1: Well, it's it, no lot of favor.
2: It, is it hundred percent of the is it the church? Or has it just well, stopped
1: being used as much as it was? Well, a couple of things. A lot of things happen. I mean, I have a whole, the whole middle section of the book is trying to un- unravel, you know, uh, unpack that problem of the decline of astrology. But uh, I first go ahead and point out that it wasn't because astrology was disproved. It was never disproved. Uh, there were constant attacks against it from the church. They, they go way back. I mean, I have a whole section on, the, you know, the... Um, You know, criticisms of astrology from the, you know, the religious people. And uh, there was also a a bit of a brain drain because in the uh, during the Renaissance, um, capitalism was developing and there was a lot more trade and there was a greater need for um, things like pumps to pump out coal mines so you can, you know, sell coal and tools to navigate better, more efficiently. And so there was this demand for the kind of people that could handle mathematics and could, you know, could the scientists, basically. But it was, all this stuff wasn't astrology. It was very practical uh, engineering-type problems. Uh, Galileo is representative of that. He, he improved the telescope and worked on ballistics and things, you know, basically he was an experimental physicist with some uh, engineering applications and that drew a lot of people that was um, you could get work doing that and it wasn't offensive to religion because it didn't raise fate or free will issues. Hmm. So the astrologers kind of got stuck with their practice, which was unable to um, withstand the, uh, the scientific revolution because in, in, in that 16th to 17th to centuries, uh, things became more evidence-based and astrologers weren't able to show that there was actual evidence for their subject. And one uh, figure, John Goad, tried uh, he did the, uh, a, a tremendous study of astrometeorology, but he didn't have the right tools. He didn't have statistics because it wasn't, hadn't been invented. And he didn't have instrumentation; they were just being invented. Like he didn't have a thermometer or a barometer. There were they were around, but in, in primitive form and hard to get. And so his work was, I think, a little premature. If he had done his work about a hundred years later, he might have gotten the same results that I got. And then that would have been something, but it didn't happen. Astrology got, um, uh, you know, pushed to the side. Fewer people got involved in it. There was, as I suggested, there was a brain drain. The smartest people went into the, uh, into a, astronomy and physics and the, the sciences that were developing at the time. But, and then there was this constant pressure from the church about fate and free will. The, the so just average, talk a little bit more clearly about that, fate and
2: free will. So this is not the same as being in an occult science. Fate and free will... What what's the issue? Why no, it's, it's church- a
1: philosophical issue. Okay, you know, and in the ancient world there were a number of philosophical schools. And one of them was Stoicism. Uh, Stoicism started a little bit after Plato, um, but it was very popular, particularly in the, among the Romans. And they had this idea of um, causal determinism that anything that that happens, like you know what you're doing in any moment, is is happening because of of causes preceding it. And so they saw the universe as kind of like, you know, most of it's out of our control. We have, we have a little range of control, but not that much. And it's called uh, in philosophy, a position of compatibilism when you get into it. But most people don't go that far. They just see fate and then they see free will. And in uh, Christianity, if, there was no free will and everything was faded. What role would God have or what role would the devil have? So you really need free will so that Adam and Eve could make a choice. Um, and, and so that you could pray to God, there would be no need to pray to God if everything was faded.
2: Ah, okay. So,
1: so if you have free will, you have to, you have to make these choices, you know, you can't be saved unless you have, free, there's free will. And you find that when you, when you, Understand this and you look at even what goes on today in the world. It's, it's amazing. It is central to Christianity and astrology was an affront to that. Hmm. Even though the astrologers knew very well that it was a lot more subtle and they tried to explain themselves, but people don't get subtle. You know, it's, it's, if I've been on a few TV shows and they, they ask you questions about astrology and you realize that the, attention span of the people in the audience might be 10 seconds. As soon as you get into like math or philosophy or something heavy, which you have to do to explain how astrology is, what astrology is and how it might be working. So, uh, so that, that the church factor can't be underestimated. I I would say it accounts for 50% of the reason why astrology. I I was going
2: to say more because after the Renaissance, we fall into the medieval period and this no, is no no, no, you, you got that reversed. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, right. Because that's the, the, okay. But during the
1: medieval period, it must have suffered even more. No, it didn't. It actually was. Uh, it ha- it found a place. What happened was, early in the medieval in medieval times, not much astrology was known. Very little of it was known in the West. Oh, okay. However, it was it was being um, studied in the um, Muslim world. And uh, there were a number of uh, scholars that translated Ptolemy and wrote their own books. Eventually, they made their way back into Europe. And there was a bit of a, along with uh, the works of Aristotle and other Greek philosophers, and there was a bit of a a stir up, uh, a shake up among the intellectuals uh, during the 11th and 12th centuries which resulted in what some people call the, the Renaissance of the 12th century. I was and waiting pre- for you
2: to say something like the, uh, there were people that were considered witches because they were predicting uh, events and so forth during the middle uh, the medieval period.
1: Uh, perhaps not, not. really. The, okay. the astrologers were at the at the top of the pecking intellectual pecking order. Oh, interesting. And you know, and then when the the, the astrology came in from the um, Arab world. There was about a, you know, 50 to 100 year debate on it, but philosophers like St. Thomas Aquinas came to the position that, yeah, it was a legitimate field. You just couldn't make exact predictions about people because that was only possible due to the aid of de- demons. But all other kinds of astrology were completely legitimate, like medical astrology and Meteorological astrology and so on. So astrology was okay, just you couldn't mess too much with people.
2: <laughs> so you you weren't really smart to be uh, casting charts of an individual. No, well, they did it, but they were careful. They're very quiet about it. Um, so much to ask on this on this topic. Your book is just packed. By the way, we're talking about the nature of astrology, history, philosophy, and the science of self organizing systems talk a little bit about self-organizing systems and and how that uh contributes to what we know as uh astrology. Yeah. Uh how how do we study? Cuz you, what you've done is dissected astrology and you've renamed it self-organizing. What
1: Well it, what... I d- I didn't do that. There, there's in, in the science that is dominant today. When people say follow the science, right? Yeah. What do they mean? What's science? What is science? You know, that's another good question. What is science? The study well, of specific and when did copy. it start? Yeah. Right. When, when did science start? You know, did start did science start with the Greeks? I think so. Uh, you know, was Aristotle a scientist? Yeah, or if, if, at least a proto-scientist because Aristotle was like a biologist. He was out in the field studying things, mm-hmm. and noticing things, and biology is considered a science. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of field work in biology, and, and in the last hundred or so years, it's, you know, become more lab-based and more technical. But around the um, 17, early 17th century, there's what, what happened was a thing called the scientific revolution, when the idea of taking a piece of nature into the laboratory and dissecting it into little parts and then subjecting all those little parts to rigorous testing. And then when you get your results, putting them in the form of mathematics, you get what's called modern science, or what I call in the book is reductionist, materialist, mechanistic science. Or otherwise known as the scientific method. Yeah, but the scientific method is actually more than that. Observation and description is part of the scientific method uh the physicists don't care about that you know yeah what's happened is the physicists are trying to make everything be like physics and if it's not then it's not science but what i'm saying is that there's a a broader definition of science i think is not only possible but it's reasonable and there are a number of people that have in the last 100 or 120 years 130 years have recognized and, and probably much further back if you want if you sure you can go further than that but a number of people in science have recognized that there's a class of phenomena that does not lend itself well to reductionism in science. And these are what are now called self-organizing systems. And there are people that study it in various other subjects, like in um, in engineering, they study what are called cybernetic systems, like a thermostat, you know, a little piece of metal changes as the temperature changes and turns off and on a circuit, and it's self-adjusting. And then you have people in biology that study a similar sort of thing in organisms, like we have a circadian clock in us that times us, and we respond to the rotation of the earth, and we sleep at night and stay awake in the day, most of us at least. Um, and there are hundreds of other rhythms that are based on that. Uh, there are people that study weather and climate that realize that, you know, you just can't put your finger on what weather is at any moment. It could change the same with right. climate but on a much larger scale, a scale that most people most people can't think in terms of a million years. They don't know what that is. They You know, they think of a, a year. That's enough. But climate is the same thing as watching the weather, except it's over these vast periods of time. These are all self-organizing systems in the, the human body and the human mind is itself our self-organizing systems and we treat our physical problems with reductionist science mm-hmm. medicine today is reductionist you know i went to four i have to go to specialists all the time and they don't overlap They're most of the time their opinions are either different or not connected to what the previous person said and so we have a thing called holistic medicine but it doesn't get funded by the insurance companies. So most people don't use it. Yeah. Don't, the get, me in, don't, don't get me into allopathy. <laughs> i have yeah, a problem. Right. Well, <laughs> allopathy is reductionist. Yeah. Right? But holistic medicine is an attempt to uh, do something broader and more basic and treat the whole system. Right. So, so uh, examples of systems would be a cell, which is self-organizing. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, it, takes in energy, but it has a, has a boundary. It has a cell, uh, cell membrane.
2: We're going to take a short commercial break here and uh, give room for our sponsors. And we'll be right back with Bruce Schofields discussing his new book, The Nature of Astrology.
3: now we don't say a word we're just looking at each other tears in our eyes from the words we said yeah it kind of broke my heart loving you is not so goddamn easy as you think i'm trying my best to hold on but i feel myself giving you know that we shouldn't keep it up like this we hurt each other's feelings
2: My guest today is geoscientist Bruce Schofield, who's written a book called The Nature of Astrology, History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self-Organizing Systems. This is a scientific look on the inner workings of astrology. Yeah, so let me just stop you real quickly. So system sciences contribute to the astrological format, and then the astrologer Using that creates the chart. So no, no, no. Okay. So give 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 me the give me the raw fundamental uh, definition.
1: Okay. So there are there are these things called self organizing systems, right? And they don't and reductionist science doesn't get it right all the time. Those examples I just just gave are very common ones. Okay. And the mind is 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 a self or the personality is something that emerges. It's emergent from the brain. And, and it gets even weirder after that, but I won't go there. I'm just saying that this is a, cl- a special class of phenomena that exists. That's recognized. Right. That needs to be approached differently. And reductionism doesn't always work with it. So okay. you need something like holistic medicine. What I'm saying is that astrology is the subject, or at least a subject that's st- that not only studies self-organizing system, but more, particularly maps them, analyzes them, right? That's and what makes I mean. predict- predictions about what the trajectories of the self-organizing systems will be in the future.
2: And let me stop you. So they, uh, an astrologer uses a formula that has the system sciences built into it.
1: Not exactly. It's, it,
2: you know, <laughs> system science... Tell me about the tools. The
1: tools, yeah. The, the systems are what astrology examines. The self organizing systems. Okay. The tools of the astrology. The prim, primary tool for most people is what uh, I call the time slice, and that's yeah. taking a a shot basically uh, of a of the sky at a given time and place. A lot of people call that the horoscope. I call it the birth chart. Right. a lot, a lot of people call it charts, astrological chart. That's It's essentially a time slice. It's a graph of where everything in the sky was at a particular time and place. And then that's analyzed. That's that's a primary tool. It's the primary tool. But there are other tools. Another one is cycles. Phases of the moon would be a good example. You see them on calendars. Okay. Okay, here's new moon. Here's first quarter. Here's full moon. Here's third quarter. Well, that's done with all the planets in various ways. So that's another approach that astrologers take, and I think those are the two most prominent, and they've been done for thousands, you know, at least a couple thousand years. And so, when a
2: when a when a pharaoh or a king wanted to know what the outcome would be on a date for a, a battle, the astrologer would look at that date and take a picture of the of the uh, cosmos.
1: Yeah, and see if it was favorable.
2: Okay. Well that's I mean <laughs> uh yeah and then the system uh science is all kind of connected to that right
1: well this the, the system sci- systems are the subject matter and system science is things like cybernetics or chaos mm-hmm. or complexity or fractals uh these are all aspects of what is slowly emerging, um, this, the, the, let's put it this way, a slowly emerging new way to do science that I call system science. And so do a lot of other people. Okay.
2: So you're bringing in a new type of, uh, of, uh, revelation
1: or a scientific method. Yeah. Well, you know, like, let's take today. We got, we have, we have a climate problem. Right? How do you approach that redu- with reductionist science? You can't. It's got to bring in all sorts of information to to understand how climate is changing. You have to have you have to know about geology. You have to know about oceanography. You've got to know about atmospheric science. You've got to know about the cycles of the sun. You know, solar radiation. There's all sorts of subjects come into play. It's it's holistic. Hmm. So
2: my next question to you is why has it uh, we're talking about current society's uh, views on astrology why has it fallen so far why why do people uh, consider it
1: uh, in such a poor light well I think uh, number one religion and number two the fact that um, you know people in general want to hold on to their positions and you have uh, people in the sciences particularly, the reductionist sciences that don't want to give any ground. So in other words, they can't or they won't provide it with a positive
2: uh, review uh, because it threatens their uh, their careers?
1: Well, maybe. I mean, I, I years ago, I went to a uh, the history department at UMass, and I talked to a guy who taught history of science. I told him I wanted to do a PhD program on that. History of astrology, and he said that would be the kiss of death for, for you and me, and I'm not gonna do it. Oh, so, boy. yes, you're right in that regard. Maybe it's not quite so bad now because the history majors have run out of things to do, and astrology is like <laughs> looming large in the closet. You know, that's that kind yeah. of it. Now I think that when you become a reductionist and you learn how to, you know, um, how to think extremely critically. You build a definition of the world around you that has no place for astrology, or has no place for anything that doesn't have a lot of evidence for it. Astrology has some evidence, but not a lot. And there are many people who are, uh, you know, standing at the uh, gateways to science. I call them the self-appointed pit bulls of science that call themselves skeptics, and they are they are guarding what is essentially a kind of religion. It's called scientism. You know, mm. which is which is this materialist philosophy that believes the only thing that is real is is something that reductionist science, you know, can measure, and that eventually everything will be figured out through physics, and that will be that. But you know, hu- you know, there's just hu- huge holes in our knowledge, and they're kind of covered up.
2: So there's a there's a uh, resistance to the astrological format, the astrological uh, uh, study, the method.
1: Uh, by the current scientific community, obviously, there. Um, well, they see it as like ancient and and old fashioned, and it is astrology yeah. hasn't really changed that much.
2: But with all the software app, I mean, because I've I've had a, a charts done, and a lot of it's you know uh, uh, been converted to software. Yeah, and good. it does all the calculations, which are very very important. But in a perfect world. And, and and this is directly for you. In a perfect world, how could we apply astrology? Uh, given our current world status, what would be some specific areas, you know, if we would to were to use astrology, that would be a, of a benefit to mankind? Not and I'm going beyond the individual charts.
1: Well, I th- I think that at this level that humanity is at this time, astrology should. W- should only be used sparingly. I think there are plenty of people that just don't want to deal with it. I, I went through a, a long career in astrology, and the more power one of my clients had, usually even with money, the more they saw me as an accessory or a tool to their further success. And so, when you have that kind of mindset going on, you don't want you don't want to be a gun for a power person. I think well, astrology I'm, I'm gonna
2: I'm gonna take that real quickly and say they wanted you to to create a chart on a potential buy or a potential uh, merger or something like that.
1: Yeah, and, and in many cases, you know, unethically, uh, or or in it, it just was furthering their own aims. You know, oh, so what I'm okay. saying is that yeah, astrology can be used as a tool. You know, it's like using astrology for gambling. I did some experimenting with that, and I think. You know, if you're really good about it, you can you, you can be fairly successful. You also have to know when not to play, and sometimes that means don't play for a year. And most people can't do that. because I think different-
2: what I'm trying to say, though, um, uh, Bruce, is as an integral science, how 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 would you see it moving beyond? I mean, because I follow as an example. This just this will show you where my mindset is. Susan Miller. Does a monthly astrology for each of the signs. Yeah, I know her. And I, I really, and I've had her on the program and I, I like her attitude because she's very positive. She looks at the positive aspects of the individual. She gives them a heads up on a few areas, but obviously she's talking to millions of people on a very general level. Yeah. If we were to take that and spin it and really make it more uh uh countrywide law uh, i mean uh, uh, much more I'm trying to think of the wording uh moving beyond individual moving into more more like statehood or major economic trends and and things like that where where would it fall if if it was a true tool for prediction uh in the same mode that the ancients
1: would use Well, I don't know that we would use it the same way they would. I mean, first let me say, I think the best use for astrology is self-knowledge. Okay. And I think it's important for people to know something about themselves. But I'll also say that there are a lot of people that cannot handle that. And that has something to do with the way culture is set up, and it has something to do with religion. Give
2: us an example, Bruce. When you say someone can't handle it, you're talking about if you don't watch out, this is what the trend is, this is what the uh saddle, uh the uh energy of the of the week the month the year will foretell if you don't pay attention is that what you're suggesting
1: yeah i mean there's you know there's like um isadora duncan take insisting on taking the death card out of the tarot cards that you know her reader would use for her people cannot handle certain kinds of predictions you know if i I've had a f- few not many but a few clients who i have made what I thought were very reasonable uh, predictions or, you know, I, I don't really, I never really made predictions. I, I would discuss trends and how best to manage those trends, because I think that's what astrology does best. But some people couldn't even handle that and they would have a meltdown. Oh, that's so interesting. So, so you are helping them
2: with a trend and mm-hmm. they're saying, I don't want to hear that. It upsets me or, I mean, wouldn't the more mature way to look at it would be how do
1: I go about working through this? Yeah, of course. But there's a lot of people that are not emotionally mature and you have to be careful <laughs> what you say <doing> to them. <laughs> I mean, I've had clients, you know, I say, Well, you know, you're you're at a point now where, you know, there's gonna be a change in your career. And you might want to take a good look, you know, a good hard look at your job, what you're doing, think about you know, what you might like to do and, you know, just to educate yourself of, uh, as to what possibilities are out there for a job change, because I think one is, is likely to occur. And then they have a meltdown. I don't want to change my job. I like my job, you know, and then it goes uh, on. And so you got to be careful. And, and then what happens You hear from them a year later? Yeah, they got fired and they had to find another job. And, you know, they're not a good candidate for astrology, that type. So you're,
2: that's interesting that you're mentioning that. So it has to be somebody who is somewhat, uh, uh would you say self-evolved emotionally?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
2: pro- okay. So wow. I, 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 that's the first time I've actually heard that. I, maybe on a subtle level, I've, I've kind of realized that, but, uh, so, so it's, it's kind of scary. And, I, and you're saying that society has, has, uh, uh, hatch these individuals to be fearful of uh, their environment, huh?
1: Well, I don't know that society has. Maybe their parents have. You know, maybe other things as well. There are certain signatures in birth charts that I learned to recognize. And and then I would back off on what I would say to these people. Uh, a lot of people don't have a very good sense of self. And if I would start describing the kind of person they are they would you know challenge me and get very upset you know so that this i think it should be seen as an analogy to using to what would happen if you were using astrology on a global level at least right now you know at in our times because i don't think the world's ready for us we we can't even deal with the the problem on the doorstep the big problem on the doorstep we can't deal with it
2: hmm Yeah, you're, you're bringing up a very good point is that if you were to, uh, integrate your, your discovery, your prediction, your, your analysis of a topic, there would be some that are, uh, wishing for another point of view and another who would, who would say, I reject your, uh, the foundation of your, your, uh, subject, your, your, your theory, your science. Yeah. Wow. Um, It's so funny, because when I look back at astrology, I think back of uh, the American president, Ronald Reagan, and his wife, Nancy, who actually had the astrologer come to the White House many times. And we don't know. There's some hints that Reagan might have used some of this uh, data in his decision-making, but we simply don't know. And as as a rule, his presidency is considered somewhat Successful um,
1: well, I so- heard Joan Quigley speak. I met her she was uh you know she was at a conference I went to in washington d c and she was a speaker there and gave a nice talk and you know people introduced themselves to her and so on um i, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't consider her to be have been a great astrologer. she was well positioned she knew the right people, yeah, uh, and she did consult with Nancy Reagan probably every week or so. I think that she had a, um, you know, a flat fee of 3000 a month. I think that's what she was getting. And then she'd me- actually show up every week. No on telephone. Oh, 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 okay. Wow. And just to check out on things. Ronald Reagan was known to consult with, uh, Carol writer, who was a, um, very popular Hollywood astrologer in the forties and fifties. And, um, I mean this goes to the whole idea of what other government
2: agencies what other uh rulers dictators so forth and so on especially in these uh, old countries like the Middle East and perhaps parts of Europe are actually using astrology or forms of uh prediction in their uh, uh their their dealings with not only yeah. the the people, but but as you know, representing their countries.
1: Yeah. Well, I know for a fact that that happens because I have have or have had astrology friends who have done work for the presidents of at least two countries, South Africa and Mexico. So I know that happens. Wow. So maybe it's a sacred
2: art to a lot of people, but there's uh, as you say especially in the West, and I'm talking about the United States, it's just it's just too much for uh, – and we're, we're in a political divide right now. And so
1: – pardon me? To say the least.
2: Yeah. I mean, so it would be even more threatening to a certain uh, body of individuals who
1: uh, w- would really be th- threatened by it. Well, they have a very superficial understanding of free will. And and that bothers them. Hmm. And I guess we also have the religious factor too. Well, that's it. That that that's where it comes from. I mean, it's baked into our society. I mean, you look at the Declaration of Independence and in all our documents. It's all these are all enlightened Enlightenment documents based on largely the philosophy of John Locke, which is the basis of the blank slate idea. Hmm. You know, there's a debate that goes on between genetics and the blank slate and the, you know, the, the blank slate people are saying, Oh, you know, everybody's the same. And, you know, when we're born, we come in blank. And that's why we need to put a lot of money into society and make it better. And then you have the, you know, the genetic orientation, which says, Hey, people are genetically programmed to do certain things. They're going to come out a certain way. And that goes on and on and on, but the blank slate theory comes from John Locke, influenced the United States, and it just has percolated through all our our, um, fundamental ideas about life in this country and in other places as well. Hmm. John Locke was an Englishman.
2: If you could project into the future and say that there is or there will be a renaissance on astrology, what would that mean to society if people were more open? If people were – I mean, you're talking – you were very – Direct in saying that you felt it was more uh, of a benefit for individuals rather than looking at it on a a state or global scale, uh, just for lack of
1: words. Well, it might be great on a on a global scale, but I don't think humans, the humans in those leadership positions, could handle it. They just they will see astrology as a way of getting what they want. Oh, so you'll they'll go back to to being selfish about it? Yeah, how many people at high levels are you know altruistic? A few, okay. but not many.
2: <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, the book's called "The Nature of Astrology: History, Philosophy, and the Science of Self Organizing Systems." Uh, Bruce, what do you want people to get out of this book?
1: Well, I think they could get some ideas about how astrology could be a very legitimate subject and doesn't really have to be called a cult. I bring up a lot of information that suggests that astrology may be not a cult at all. It may be baked into us from three billion years of evolving in a temporal environment, an environment affected by the sun and the moon and the planets and uh, the cycles that they produce. Fascinating. Hey,
2: how do people get a hold of you? You got a great website. Uh what is it? Well, it's
1: oneread.com, one O n e r e e d dot com Has a lot on Mesoamerica. I share it with my friend Barry. Um, I'm not much of a self-promoter. There's a, a link there to nat- uh, naturalastrology.com, which has a collection of, of articles that I've written on natural astrology uh that may be of interest to some people too. At some point I gotta get back to that and Fix it up a little bit more. Okay, and uh, you have a Facebook page too. Just it's
2: uh, Bruce yeah. Schofield. Yeah, S C O F I E L D. He's on Facebook. I think this is a, a a great book on many levels. I I like the fact that you define astrology. You give a history of it. You go through the problems of astrology, and we kind of end up with it's available. Check it out and this is why you should try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, give us a, you give us a heavy dose of history and the persecution of astrology and then uh, where we, we've landed today. Um, hey, as a final question, uh, I, I kind of uh, suggested that it would be great for, for leaders to use it, but you're saying they we're not ready for it. Well, uh, at least most of them. Yeah, I mean, where do you see it in the next, say, decade? Is is it something that it'll continue being the the weak version of it showing up in our newspapers and our Sunday papers and in uh, uh, Cosmopolitan magazine?
1: Well, I I think things may go along the way they've been going along. Uh, Astrology needs to clean up its own act to a large extent. But I think what will make a difference eventually is that there'll be more studies um, that show that there are, is some real evidence for it. Like the, the small study, that, well, actually my study was kind of complicated. Be, well, it was, it was big in the sense that there were it, it comprises many little studies, let's just say that. But I, I have some strong evidence that something's going on with the planets that wouldn't be expected. And other people are going to find more and more of that. Eventually, these findings accumulate. And then you get somebody who's well-positioned you know, say in physics or some other science, and you know, brings it to the attention of others. I know people in meteorology that have looked at my work and are actually applying some of it, but they don't—they—they oh. don't, they won't open their mouth. They don't say anything. Can you give us
2: some um, uh, predictions on Earth or 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 United States or something that is uh, uh, you're comfortable with? Without, yeah,
1: I, I think you know, for example, Saturn is in Aquarius now. And it's going to move into the sign Pisces for the, for two and a half years. It's going to go uh, just in a few months, somewhere in the spring, it goes into uh, Pisces, and I think that's going to set off a reckoning with reality that we haven't seen for a while. it will go on for a few years, and there's a lot to, a lot of reality to be reckoned with. I mean, we have large parts of the population believing in nonsense. We have uh, all sorts of denial going on about what's really going on in our environment, whether it's, you know, the sixth extinction or climate change or pollution. These are all very, very serious realities that people are pushing away. But, you know, we've seen the storms getting stronger. We've seen the weather getting crazier. Uh, Saturn and Pisces is just going to push reality into everybody's face. Uh, And I think uh, that's... a a general prediction, but we're coming into it. Give us one for the continental USA. (laughs) Well, USA is in what's it's called uh, What's called it's uh, Pluto return now. And the Pluto return is a, um, uh, a challenge financially and a uh, challenge psychologically. And I think last year, the, um, and the last couple of years, you know, looking at what's been going on, you know, from the attack on the Capitol and the, the, the investigation of it. And we have, um, I think we're going to face some, some real, uh, ups and downs economically in this country. Uh, you know, it could be the, the Congress just can't get it together, you know, with the debt limit.
2: Oh, the debt ceiling.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. But, um, I think it could be other things as well. I mean, there are a number of factors going on in the world now that could really play wreak havoc on the economy.
2: Hmm. I got one that's strange for you, uh, and I'll just be curious to know. Uh, the Space Command and NASA have re-evaluated this uh, these UFO sightings, and they've retitled it Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon right. from, from UFOs. What do you think's going on there? What do you what do you see as an astrologer? Is this is this just Malarkey or do they have something to hide or what?
1: You know, I don't I don't know for sure. You know, I kinda of, my position is very similar to Leslie Keane's, you know, kind of a realist position uh, about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if some stuff is hidden because that's that's human nature. Yeah. People want to hold on to power. I mean, I think it's the same reason why you f- find these, com- you know, top secret documents in the president's house, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, now it's, it's the vice president's house. Yeah. P- Pence. <laughs> yeah. They found some at his. Yeah. They just reported this morning that he's been holding secret papers for, I don't know if it's years, but.
1: It, yeah. Well, okay. You know, that. Yeah. See, it, it's human nature. But, you know, as far as uh, UFOs go, I think that that's a very interesting subject. I've been interested in it all my life. Uh, I don't, um, you know, I keep, kind of keep up with it. I look at the, uh, you know, the anomalous lists, all the little bits and pieces of information that's popping up. And every once in a while, I'll read an article. But, yeah, but, uh, as far as full disclosure, I don't know. Uh, but what, do you,
2: what do you say? I mean, because this is something that automatically when there is disclosure it changes the world. Yeah, we automatically know we're not the only ones in on our cosmos, and I think this has been a huge problem. And our yeah. science, our sciences, don't help at all by covering stuff up. I mean, uh, if you've been following it, you know about the um, uh, this paper that was written in 1960 uh, that basically the the Pentagon follows, which says if if you do reveal any any evidence of aliens that uh, the, the people will commit suicide, churches will end, society will be, stop. And I can't believe that.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, people think that. You, you have these think tanks and they exactly. have their own ideas. You know, you meet people at different, you know, levels in society and they have very different ideas than you have. Yeah. Uh, and you get people that are, um, you know, particularly in the case of, uh, say, a president or some celebrity Right. These people are insulated from the rest of the world, and over time they build up their own ideas about it, many of which could be completely false, but it doesn't matter because they're living in a bubble. Yeah. And, and that, that's, that's the, you know, the, uh, that's natural to humans. So when it comes to UFOs, I think there'll be things will come out gradually. Um, but if there really are intelligent, civilizations out there watching us, I don't see any reason why they would want to contact us, at least right now. For the same reason that I don't think that the world should be using astrology in any big way. We're just not ready for it, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I was curious, as so you were were, were talking, uh, Bruce, that if you could look, here's an example. Uh, we have uh, 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 eminent Harvard astronomer, a guy named uh, Dr. A.V. Loeb, Mm -hmm. and he is currently looking at alien probes, and he's calling them alien probes entering our atmosphere. He's about to comb the the bottom of the South Sea Ocean for what he believes are fragments of an alien craft that entered and was dispersed uh, through our atmosphere. He is of the belief also that these probes have been coming on a regular basis, uh, and they come through our uh, cosmos and leave, can you create a predictive model based on astrology that this is going to happen, what will happen when it is revealed, or do we continue to just hide it because we're afraid of (laughs) other beings from other planetary systems?
1: Well, to, you know, it's not something that you're going to find instructions for in any astrology textbook, first of all. Yeah. So if you were going to do something like that, it would take a lot of time. You'd have to look at sightings. You'd have to look at planetary positions. You'd have to try to understand what might be some other analogies. Like, for example, Cortez showing up in Mexico would be kind of a... a you know an analog for aliens showing up on earth right so you want oh, to look at these and 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 see what they are all about and then you can make some speculations on what it might be and i'm in no way prepared to do that right now i've got yeah. other fish to fry you know or other things to do but i think it you could learn something but i'll i'll add one more thing i will say that something like that is on such a different scale from what we're used to you know you would think that it would be shown in some remarkable way there would have to be some very remarkable configuration or perhaps the discovery of some other object and this is one of the things that astrologers have found to be true that when a major planetary body is discovered there's a very strong correlation with its prim- principles uh in terms of earth history at that time uranus being discovered um in 1781 time So give 1781.
2: us an example so in other words yeah you're using uranus the planet so you're saying that the discovery changed the the
1: inhabitants of our planet? Well, there's, I'm just saying there, there seems to be correlations between the nature of the planet and the historical events of the time. Hmm. W- whether there's a causal connection or not is a whole other matter. That's fascinating. So if you look at you know Neptune in 1844 and Pluto in 1930, You know, say Pluto in 1930 had this like major stock market crash economy. Then you had the development of the atomic bomb and you had, you know, extreme authoritarianism in Europe. Yeah, that's Pluto. (laughs) Wonderful. Hey, Bruce, Bruce uh, Schofield, thank you very
2: much for being on the program. This book just came out. You guys listening, The Nature of Astrology. I just saw it. It's on Amazon. Wow. What a book going to have to have you back, Bruce. Hey, uh, much success.
1: Thank you, Cliff. Hopefully my equipment will work.
2: I did mention that Bruce's book, The Nature of uh, of Astrology, is available on Amazon. It's also available at your local bookstore. Uh, It's distributed by Simon & Schuster. It is a lot to take in, but I'll tell you, it sure uh, helped me understand how the ancients used it, as uh, Bruce says, the system sciences behind it, and really, you know, I was thinking of the subtle energies that are not really talked about, the uh, planetary influences of Saturn, Mars, Uranus, or um, yeah, Uranus now. Uh, and the other planets that we know about in our cosmos all have influence on us physically, mentally, and spiritually. We didn't even get into the spiritual aspects or the mental aspects, you know, how gravity affects us. Uh, you know, it's so funny. I was thinking of the moon, and one of the the great terms for people that are having problems are lunatics. and and, uh, I think they've actually correlated when the moon's setting or in in different positions. Uh, If you have issues, the brain chemistry acts up based on this influence of the moon, and you act out. It could be positive, could be negative, could be uncontrolled, and this is where the lunatic term came out from. (laughs) So... I get a little bit of that myself. I don't need the the moon. I I, I get crazy myself <laughs> occasionally. So fun having Bruce. Bruce is gonna be Bruce is gonna be back. He wrote a book. I just discovered this. He wrote a book on Mayan astrology based on the codices that we have found. And these codices are amazing because they, there's one. I think it's the Dresden Codex, it's, which is in Spain. It shows Venus. And the level of accuracy that they were able to comprehend the various movements of Z, of uh, Venus is is amazing. And I wanted to question him, question him a little bit as a scientist because we're expected to believe that the Maya, through plain sight, standing on a temple, looking up into the sky, were able to discern these various positions and things. I don't know how the hell they did it. My belief is the Maya actually had telescopes, and if you go to Chichen Itza and you go to the observatory there, the El, uh, uh, let's see, the El Caracol, the, the snail, they name it that because of the spiral snail-like uh, observatory's shape. You can see that they were pointing up into the sky, and it looks, it looks like some machinery is missing, like some. Uh, apparatus or devices are missing. It's funny because we don't think of the Maya as uh, as technologically advanced, but they really, really were. And this CODIS, which, by the way, a number of scientists, including uh, Jim O'Connor, the forensic engineer, believes was translated from technical manuals. And this is becoming a real questionable theory simply because The level of accuracy uh, that we see in these four codices that we find uh, is beyond accurate. In fact, it's like really questionable in terms of how they were able to cite this. There are archaeologists that believe that they're just simply very, very bright. I can't believe that. A lot of other scientists and archaeologists question that. And if you go to the buildings, the Maya buildings, you will see firsthand that uh, they were sighting the heavens, uh, but without any kind of equipment. So I think the equipment is missing. Over the thousands of years, these places were abandoned. These great cities were abandoned. All this equipment was taken either with them or over the years removed uh, by hoarders and, and grave robbers and things like that. So... Fascinating to consider. By the way, we have a tour coming up in November to Maya Land. It's our uh, annual Mexico tour. It's it's, uh, the ancient Maya of Chiapas and Tabasco with Dr. Edwin Barnhart. And I've been looking for a a while for this. This is going to be a chance to see uh, observatories, definitely observatories at Palenque, but most notably... We're gonna be flying into Vera Hamosa in southern Mexico. And our first stop is La Venta. La Venta! And this is the site of some of the most richly cultivated Olmec sites, Olmec buildings, Olmec temples, and Olmec artifacts. We're gonna to go to the La Venta Museum and see the megaliths of uh, altars, uh, the stone, gigantic stone heads with the African-centristic types of faces. Oh, my God. It's going to be great. For more information... Oh, and by the way, it's November 10th through the 17th of this year, 2023. It's only a week. And for more information, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours. Check out the itinerary. You know, Ed, who's going to be on the show a few more times before we go to Mexico, he actually, uh, as his graduate credential helped survey Palenque, which is the next place we go. And this is the site of Lord Pakal, this famous king, Mayan king, uh, who not only built more of these fascinating uh, pyramids, but he built some of the most ornate temples and buildings. And they're filled with weird and uh, anomalous features. And when I say that, it's like uh, in some places it's like they had a, Uh, uh, an aperture or a housing to hold machines or something really weird stuff. Uh, We talk about the Egyptian temples and pyramids being strange and fascinating. The Maya pyramids, temples, and buildings are also fun. So, hey, come out and and join us November 10th through the 17th. It's going to be a week. You can fly in to Verahumosa and back from the United States. If you're outside of the U.S., you go, you're probably going to stop from wherever you are in Mexico City, and then you'll do a jumper jet into Verahamosa, which is in southern Mexico. Again, more information, uh, earthancients.com forward slash tours. If you want to talk to me about it, if you have questions, earthancients4u, the letter or the number for the letter u at gmail.com. earthancients 4 you at gmail.com. Say, hey Cliff, this is I have some questions, blah blah blah. No problem. I'm happy to answer them. Come out and join us. It's going to be a fun tour. Hey we we um, we missed Mexico last year, so it's time to go back. I'm really looking forward to it. All right that's it for this program. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Bruce Schofield and his book The Nature of Astrology. Uh, As always, our team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone who makes this thing happen. Yes, sir, you guys rock. I really think so. (laughs) You do. All right. Take care. Be well. And we will talk to you next time.